If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew. Book of Matthew. We're going to talk today about uh, the unmistakable, unavoidable task that we have. How many of you know what a bucket list is? You know? All right. How many of you have a bucket list of some sort? Okay. Uh, most bucket lists involve different things. They've got uh, bucket lists. People want to travel places. Anybody have a place they, they want to travel before they... You know what a bucket list is, right? It's a list that you... Things you want to do before you kick the bucket, right? That's the, that's the reason that's where it gets its name. Anybody got a place you want to travel before you kick the bucket? Dyersburg. Amen. It's an unbelievable place. It'll change your life. They have a Chick-fil-A in Dyersburg now. They are uptown, all right? We're not Greenbrier yet, but we're moving, all right? Somebody else? Hawaii? Australia? England? Ireland? We had that duel, right? Paris? All right, I've got a couple. I want to go to the Holy Land. Never been to Jerusalem over in that area. I'd love to see that. Uh, and I want to go to Italy for some reason. I don't know why. I just want to go to Italy. So that's usually on people's bucket list. There are places I want to travel, uh, somewhere I want to go. Uh, sometimes there are kind of crazy things people want to do, like, you know, adventurous things. Um, you know, like they say that, that, you know, just reckless things. Before I die, I want to. Uh, anybody got any of those? Anybody want, to, anybody want to jump out of a plane someday? All right, a couple of people, all right. I saw a hand kind of go, no, uh, like... Hang gliding, want to go hang gliding? Uh, anybody bungee jumped here? Yeah, Wendy has, all right. Anybody want to do that? You know, those kind of things. Sometimes people have career goals. Before I die, I want to do this. Well, here's what I want to do today. I want you to boil down a bucket list into one sentence. And I want you to finish this sentence. If I do nothing else in my life, I must then finish it. If I do nothing else in my life, I must... When you begin to think in those terms, you get down to the essence of what you really believe is important. Now, there are lots of ways the world or you might answer that question. For some of you, it might be, if I do... Nothing else in my life, I must be there for my kids. If I do nothing else in my life, I must be a great husband to my wife. If I do nothing else in my life, I must see my children grow up and become followers of Jesus. If I do nothing else in my life, I must make it in whatever business venture I've got right now. If I do nothing else in life, I must. What is that your must? And I don't want you to make a list of eight things. You see, I believe that I can give you the answer to that question today. Because I don't believe that that's an individual question for every person. I think if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your answer to that question must be the same as every other follower of Jesus Christ. Before we get to that answer, let me tell you a quick story. 
comes from a, a pastor in Birmingham by the name of David Platt. He, he's written a book called Radical Together. And in that, he tells this story of being on one of the most unevangelized islands in the world. He was looking out of his window and he was thinking about the millions of people on that island who had never heard of Jesus and had never even met someone who knew of Jesus. On the island alone, there are about 45 million Muslims, along with other varieties of religion. Now what's interesting about this is it's not one of the most unevangelized necessarily by percentage, it's just by sheer numbers, there are just so many, because there is actually a Christian tribe on the island. That's a couple of million strong. In fact, it was an island that, that um, some, some Baptist missionaries went into this tribe and they, several years ago and they told them about Jesus and the first reaction of the tribe was, we don't believe that. And so the leaders had the missionary couple rounded up, killed, and then eaten. A few years later, a missionary from Germany came to this tribe and he began to tell them about Christ again. And this time they had a different reaction and the leaders listened and received. And in fact, in the first few weeks, these leaders of this tribe became believers. And then they began to tell their people about it. And before long, a majority of the tribe were believers. So this tribe or this people group that is hundreds, thousands, perhaps even million strong are believers. But since they've become believers, they've turned almost completely inward. And don't take the time to share with the 45 to 55 million people that are on the island. Some of the reasons people would say, well, that may be kind of legitimate. I mean, there is threat of persecution. It's a Muslim country and they go by Muslim law. And if they... um, if they became believers or began to evangelize them, they could be in trouble with the law. And so some people say, well, you know, they, they could be arrested. Some of the reasons are not as significant. One of the issues they have is because there are 45 million Muslims on the island, one of the things Muslims can't do is they can't eat pork. Well, apparently this tribe of people really like pork. Now, I like pork myself, right? Uh, barbecue, pork loin, I mean, I like it. But they won't go to a Muslim's house to eat because they want to eat pork and the Muslims won't let them eat pork. In fact, now this sounds almost strange, but a guy on the island said, a believer said, I would rather a Muslim go to hell than for me to have to stop eating pork. So they sit back. They are living next to multitudes of unreached peoples, yet they are unwilling to share Christ. They focus on themselves. They focus church activities on themselves. They've got denominational meetings and conferences and buildings. They've got nearly 30 theological schools. They've even got a mission board that's not doing anything. One person on the island says, they have all the trappings of the church. The only thing missing is the heart of Christ. David Platt writes in his book, When I heard this, I was stunned into silence. I thought, is it really possible to have all the trappings of church and yet miss the heart of Christ? Is it possible for a church to become so focused on personal comforts and so fearful of the cost that they virtually forget the purpose of God among all 
the nations? And the simple answer to that is absolutely it's possible. Here's how I think as a follower of Jesus you have to answer that sentence that I posed. Now, the wording may be a little different. I'm saying you have to use my wording, but the idea has to be there, and it's this. If I do nothing else in my life, I must be actively involved in the mission of God. I must be actively involved in the mission of God. Now, if I just said to you, do you think you ought to be involved? If you're a believer, should you be involved in the mission of God? Absolutely, preacher. That's We should be. But let me ask you this question. If I said to you, above all else, if you do nothing else, should you be involved? That's a different question. But let me tell you, that's the reason we're here. I mean, what is the mission of God? I mean, that kind of sounds... I know that, uh, what, Mission Impossible 28 is coming out this here in a couple of weeks. What, what number is it? I don't even know what number it is. Four, five, six, something ghost protocol, right? Four, right? Uh, you know, and you get that at the beginning. In the Mission Impossible, you get that, the thing, you know, and this comes from the old TV series, your mission if you choose to accept it, and then this message will self-destruct. Well, the truth is, God has been planning, doing, involving us in a mission since the beginning of time. And when we sign up to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we are accepting this mission. Now, a few years ago, a group of scholars and pastors got together to figure out what the mission of God is. You know what they came up with? They said that the mission of God is for every person to hear and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't think you really had to get a conference together to figure that out. I mean, the Bible kind of states that pretty clearly. In Matthew chapter 24, it says, The good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed. The word there is will in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Verse 18 of Matthew 28, where you're turned, and we're going to read together now, and then we'll read it together in a minute as well. Jesus came near to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we get to the book of Revelation, chapter 7. We see the picture that God wants us to see of what the end will look like. And in Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, it says, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, language. No one could remember. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were robed in white with palm branches. They cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. So we see in Scripture, from Genesis, even in Genesis, when Adam and Eve make a terrible decision, and they eat of the forbidden fruit, and God comes down and begins to give judgment about that. He says to the serpent, One day I will crush your head. God predicts in the beginning that it is coming. As we look through the history 
of the people of Israel. Their job was to live as a people of God so that people outside of it would see it and give glory and honor to the one true God. When you get to the story of Jesus, when you get to Christmas, it is the story of God enacting for us the fact that He is coming to rescue us, that His mission is moving forward. And when Jesus ascends back to the Father, He says, now you are the ones through which this mission will be accomplished. So what does that mean? Well, at that same conference where they talked about that world evangelization was the mission of God, they said this is what it will require. That world evangelization will require the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world. It will require the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world. Look with me again at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And we're going to break that apart. What does it mean, whole church, whole gospel, whole world? Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this. Then Jesus came near and said to them, These are the last words Jesus will speak in the book of Matthew. This is His great commission to us, to the disciples, to these men He has been around, that He has been training for years in order to accomplish this task. It is with these guys that the movement starts that we are a part of today. And He says, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, or as you go, or while you're going, or in your life, Number one priority is make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's break that apart, those three things that that conference came up with and see how they apply to this, this passage. And the first thing we see here is that it will require the whole church going. Now, when I say whole church there, I mean it in both ways it can mean. First of all, I mean it that it will require the church universal. Every person on the planet who is a believer in Jesus Christ working together for the glory of God and the spread of His kingdom, taking the gospel. So when I talk about church, I'm talking about big C. Realizing that we are part of a movement, even more so than we're a part of a denomination or we're part of a local church, we're part of a movement of God. And it will require the whole church. In fact, part of this means in realizing the story in which we find ourselves. Coat preached on this last week of placing ourselves inside the story of Jesus and placing ourselves inside the story of Scripture, which means that we are a part of this grand story that is playing out. Isn't it amazing how much people love a good story? I Man, I have kids, so I get to read stories to them, talk stories to them, tell stories to them. Uh, here's the thing. I, I don't even have to have very good stories. And my kids are into it. There's something innate within us that that wants to hear good stories. That wants to read about good versus evil. About 
things that are about to happen, things that, that could happen, that, that get on the edge of our seats when the hero is in trouble, that want the rescue to come. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but the most popular new drama on television is a show called Once Upon a Time. How many of you have seen that? Anybody? A few. There's about eight times more of you in this service than the first service, but they're apparently not polling our congregation, all right? Once Upon a Time came on about four or five weeks ago. Um, it's an interesting thing. It's, it's, a, it's from the writers that wrote Lost. And it is, uh, which some of you were, uh, and some of you are excited about that. But it's about two parallel worlds in which they follow the stories of our favorite fairy tale characters as if they were living here and now. So they follow the story of Snow White as if she were living in Storybrook, Maine. Now here's what's fascinating is all the critics, everybody kind of wrote it off. This isn't going to be, a, it's just ridiculous. This, nobody's going to watch something about Snow White. Uh, nobody's going to watch something where Rumpelstiltskin's the bad guy. All right? We just kind of, we've moved on from that. And here's what they're discovering. The audience is almost growing on a weekly basis because people just love good stories. Here's the reason I think that that's the case. is because we are part of the greatest story that has ever existed. And almost all elements of a great story find their origin in the story. A people who are desperate for rescue, that are longing for someone to come and save them. And a hero rides in Maybe not on a white horse, but lying in a manger. And the hero has to sacrifice himself in order for good to prevail. But the hero's not all the way down. And at the end of the story, he comes back to life and rescues the people from their bondage. Every great story has as its background these images of the story that is real, that we are living in. Scripture is filled with a God who creates, and He creates in Genesis, and He recreates in Revelation. And what happens in between is Him bringing creation, and us in particular, back to a place of perfection with Him. The Scripture says that we are His agents in the story. Now, I mean church worldwide, but let me also tell you this. It means that for us as a local body of believers, that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you must find your place in sharing the story and telling people who He is. Ultimately, we must be a people who preach the good news, but also people that live it. We must preach transformation, but we must be transformed. Now we must be willing to share the reason for the hope that's within. I heard a story this week, and I didn't tell Miss Athoda I was going to use this, but I am. I'm sorry, Miss Athoda. You can forgive me later, all right? Miss Athoda, earlier, a week or two weeks ago, decided that she needed to bump into somebody on the roadways with her car, all right? The uh, person in front of her stopped. She didn't fully stop, and so she uh, 
hit somebody in a car. All right? She gets out of the car. She begins to talk. And we had a conversation about this. I'm not real sure how the conversation ended up around church, but somehow it ended up to church. And the girl asked her, Miss Athoda, where do you go to church? Or, ma'am, where do you go to church? And Miss Athoda said, well, I go down to First Baptist Church. And the girl goes, oh, you mean the church that? Let me just tell you, as a pastor, I don't tell people what I do because usually as soon as I tell them I'm a preacher here in Middle Tennessee, suddenly they get really religious. You know, I, uh, I was at a local eating establishment a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, my waitress was coming up and I started a conversation about church and I said, well, you go to church? Oh, yeah, 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 I go to church. And I said, really, where do you go to church? He goes, oh, I go to the Baptist church. Well, which Baptist church? Well, First Baptist church, the one with the big white... I said, oh, really? I've been the pastor there for five years. And, oh, well, I don't go very much. But as a pastor, you're always a little concerned when they say, oh, you mean the church that. But she came out with a surprising answer, didn't she, Miss Athoda? She said, oh, you mean the church that is always doing good things for people. I want to tell you, that, that's a lot better than what people could say about churches around. And so I, I was excited about that. But as believers, as we move from the whole church being involved, what we have to realize is that we have to not stop there with just doing good for people. We have to give the motive and the reason behind it. We want people to know it's not just because we're happy. It's because of Jesus Christ who lives with us. And the reason that we're doing good is because of Jesus and so we must be the whole church taking the whole gospel. The gospel. It's a word that people don't understand necessarily. It has a simple answer. It just means good news. I mean, literally, that's what it means. Good news or good announcement or good message. But really what the gospel is, is the entire story of which we are a part. This idea that God created a world where He desired more than anything to have a relationship with us and He creates us and puts us in the garden and we are given the option of living perfectly and holy before Him. And if we followed that path, we would have unlimited access. We would have amazing interaction with God Almighty. And yet our forefathers, Adam and Eve, and us on a daily basis chose not to live in obedience. We chose disobedience. And disobedience is sin, and sin separates us from God. It enslaves us to our nature, and it places us under God's judgment. No matter what we do, no matter what attempts we make, we cannot break the curse of God's judgment on our lives because of the decision and the sin that we have. But God, in His infinite wisdom and love, said that's not good enough. And so the reason we celebrate Christmas is because the child born in the manger is the Word who was in the beginning and from the beginning and spoke and creation happened. The child in the manger is the Lord God Almighty. He provided a way back for us. Jesus is the bridge. He obeyed for us. He took our penalty. He is alive and He calls us home. And all it takes is a response from us to say we are coming home and we are trusting You. That's it. That's the Gospel. The idea that God initiated it all, that we rebelled, and that He has brought a rescue plan. 
Our job is not just to be a church doing good and living good and acting good. Our job is to proclaim to a world, this is what is needed and necessary. And then he tells us, and Jesus tells them there, he says, listen, I'm going to send you out, all of you. You've got to go. And not only that, you've got to go and you've got to make disciples. It's not just about getting them to say, hey, I believe in Jesus. It's about getting them to realize that believing in me will bring transforming power and they will begin to live differently. They will begin to learn more about me. They will grow in faith and knowledge and understanding and love. They'll begin to act and think and talk and speak and be different because of who I am. And then he says, you're going to go into all the earth, to all nations. It's the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. Basically what he's saying is, you want to know where the mission field is? Just open your eyes because there it is. And in Christianity recently there's been this debate happening. It's, it's not a new debate, but there are new terms sometimes to debate and It's between churches being missional and churches being mission-minded. Missional is this concept that's come along that that we are to act as a local body of believers like everyone around us, people that are to be reached with the gospel, and that we are to interact with them like missionaries would in a foreign country. And that the priority of a church is to take care of the people right around it. Missions is the idea that we are to be responsible for going to the ends of the earth to tell people about Jesus. And there is a debate of can you be both missional and missions-minded? Can you be missions-minded and still be missional? And this debate goes back and forth, back and forth. And I think that the Lord just looks at us and says, how ridiculous is that distinction? It's not either or. It is both and. I believe that as a church, we should be impacting both Goodlettsville and Ghana. Both Greenbrier and Greenland. Millersville and Milan. Not Milan, Tennessee. Milan. Although we can impact Milan too, I guess. Ridgetop and Rio. Hendersonville and Hanoi. Tennessee and Tehran. It's not either or. I would love to see God begin to raise up Young people, adults, families from this congregation that feel their calling is to take the message of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And we're commissioning people from our congregation as missionaries in Thailand and in Western Europe and in Africa and South America and East Asia. I would love for that to happen. But I would love just as much if the people of this church, the whole church, would say, I am determined more than anything to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the neighbor next door and the people down the street and the workplace where I work and the school where I learn and the clubs that I'm a part of. I want us to be a church that answers the question, if we do nothing else, we must be actively involved in the mission of God. I want us to be a church that remembers the reason we exist for people that are not yet a part of what we're doing. For those who are not here. In a few moments at the end of this service, we're going to vote as a congregation on whether to move forward with the remodeling plan that's been presented. And 
There's been lots of good discussion and lots of good questions asked over the last couple of weeks. And people have asked me questions. And, and one of the questions that, that, that was asked of me and um, that I'm readily to give an answer is, um, will this help us as we think about people outside of here? And I, I, just from my personal opinion and my prayer life and my thought life and what I'm going, I think it will absolutely help. And in fact, that's the whole impetus behind it. That's the whole reason we even started talking about it. And what I want as a congregation, what I want is to be a part of a people who says, we will do whatever it takes to see people come to know Jesus as Savior. The mission of God will require the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. And here are some ways you can be involved. These are the same things when I give a mission sermon. I give them every time. But for some of you, it doesn't sink in the first time. For some of you, it sinks in for a little while, then it goes away. And for some of you, you haven't heard it yet, so here it is. Three things you can do to be involved actively in the mission of God. First of all, you can pray. We desperately need prayer as people... uh, leading you as, as your pastor, I need prayer. As a staff, we need prayer. As Sunday school teachers, we need prayer. The people of this community you can pray for. You can pray for uh, people that are lost in this community, people that have not yet met Christ here. You can pray for people in our state. You can pray for our mission activities. So you can pray for the people of the Gallery Church in New York City that uh, meets on Sundays like we do. You can pray for them. Uh, you can pray for Lynch, Kentucky and Club 180 Ministry that is happening all the time. You can pray for the girls' home down in Chile that so many of our people have invested both time and energy and money in. You can pray for Porto Segura, Brazil. Uh, you know, it's amazing when you begin to come on mission, when you begin to do things that the Lord calls you to do, how you view things in the world differently. This week, uh, just on Facebook, uh, we started to get word that there had been some explosions in Porto Segura. And uh, that bombs had been um, set off in, a, in an area there. That there was some drug leaders who... Um, some drug leaders that one of the drug leaders had been shot and people were retaliating. And, and our immediate thought, my immediate thought was, man, that's terrible. What's going? My immediate thought was, are the people I know okay? And my immediate thought was, how can we continue to make a difference in this place? I got word that um, the bombings happened near, and one of the bombings actually happened in a community in which I, it wasn't with this church, it was with Ripley, that I led a team several years ago down there. It preached in a church right near where it happened. And it's just amazing how you view the world differently when you're on mission for the Lord. You can pray for those people. There's a great website called Operation World that gives you daily things to pray for. The International Mission Board of uh, Southern Baptist Convention has great resources about how to pray. You can pray. Secondly, you can give. You can give a lot of ways. You can give to the ministry of this church. A portion of everything you give here goes to international and national missions. A portion of everything you give here goes to missions in our own community. A portion of everything you give is used in Acts 1-8 ways. All right. So you can give to the budget of this church. You can give to... Um, 
to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that happens every year at this time. That 100% of what you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes overseas to missionaries on the field. So you can give to that. You, you can give to our Yes Lord Building uh, campaign as we move forward and try to make this place a more welcoming, accessible place and uh, say that I want to give to that. I want to encourage that. I want to look forward to that. So you can pray, you can give, and you can go. Listen, for a church our size, it would be difficult to find a church with more opportunities to go. I mean, in the next year, we'll have trips to Lynch, Kentucky. We'll have a trip to Brazil. We'll have a trip to New York City. Uh, there may or may not be a trip to Chile as they're working down there continually. We'll have opportunities to serve at the Bridge Ministry, opportunities to serve at the National Rescue Mission coming up in the next year. There's opportunities to serve even next week as the Bridge Ministry is coming here. There is no reason, if you are a part of this church, that you have any excuse not to be a part of the mission activities of the church. Just not. In fact, I want to ask you to think about doing something, and that's giving 2% of your time in the next year for a mission-intensive experience. 2% works out to about one week. So a week to go to New York or to Lynch or to, or to, uh, to spend time somewhere here in Nashville or working with the Help Center or somehow, maybe it's a vacation week, maybe you as a family find something to go do. We can help you with some of that. But to give your Time and effort for that. The question really today is, do you believe the statement that if you do nothing else in your life, you must be actively involved in the mission of God? And if the answer to that is yes, which I believe as a follower of Jesus, it ought to be. The question is, how are you going to do it?